Welcome to the Dime Zone Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Scott Beal. This podcast episode, which was recorded in September of 2020, will feature my good friends Khalil, Ty, and I discussing mathematics. We hope you enjoy. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Scott Beal, and I'm here with my good friends Khalil and Ty. Uh, let's just get started. Khalil, do you want to share a little bit about yourself and your background in math? Yes, I will share. <laughs> Hi, guys. My name is Khalil. I am an engineer by trade, but no longer employed, (laughs) Um, but currently in grad school now studying computer science. I would say I am more so on the applied mathematics side, um, just because of the engineering and the physics. And my introduction to mathematics would probably have been in elementary, as far as me liking it, just because I did competitions in elementary and middle school and really enjoyed them and so math just kind of dictated really a lot of my study because that was that was what I was interested in and so mm-hmm. yeah that's awesome mm-hmm. what about you Ty <clears throat> yeah my name is Ty um Crenshaw don't know if the last name's needed or not but we're throwing that out there and uh <laughs> so I when I went to college I started out as an engineering major um but then after, after a lot of thought, switched over to um, just being a math major, decided I wanted to be a, a math teacher. So I graduated with a degree, a bachelor's degree in mathematics, um, and now I'm on my second year teaching at a high school here in Lubbock. And um, let's see, what else? oh, I, uh, I read a book on a history of numbers in different <laughs> cultures, and... So needless to say, I, I really enjoy math. I really enjoy random things about math. And so I guess I guess that's just about it. I don't, I don't know why I started liking math, but I, I guess I was just good at it and I found it interesting. Yeah. Okay. I actually liked math and at first like, didn't really think I was that good at it. And then I was told I wasn't really that good at it. I think that's how it starts off for everyone. I was super prideful, and so here's what happened. I tried to get into a pre-AP math class in high school, and they basically told me, sorry, we don't think that you're like qualified enough. And I said, <laughs> what? And so my freshman year, I took one math class, and then I said, I'm going to show these people. And I took two math classes my sophomore year, caught up to everyone else, and then my senior year, to top it off, I took two more math classes, like wow. Cal and Stats. And then I, so I finished high school with six math classes out of choice, not out of like... Wow. So it was super prideful of me because I was like, I'm just going to show them. But like Ty, I graduated with a math degree. I actually graduated roughly around you. I was a little bit slower though um, when it came to like actually getting across the finish line. But yeah, I also graduated with a math degree. And yeah, I just really like math now. And I, I did teach for a year. And I taught math at high school math as well. So, so yeah, well, thanks for sharing, guys. Um, with the introductions out of the way, let's get started with some math facts. Um, I figure the best way to do this is that we'll each just kind of like take turns sharing a math fact and then the others can just, if they want to add on to that or share something that they thought about during that time, we just hop in. Um, and so I think that's the best way to do it, the best way to go about that. So Ty, how about you start us off with a fun math fact? So what I'd like to start us with is uh, a fact about playing cards. So there are about 52 cards in a, in a standard deck of playing cards. Um, you know, hearts, diamonds, aces, spades. not aces, sorry, not aces, spades and clubs. 
this uh, this little math fact is that if you properly shuffle a deck of cards, and that just means you know maybe shuffling it once or twice even doesn't have to be anything excessive. If you shuffle it properly, you probably from the top of the deck to the bottom have a uh, combination of cards that has never existed before. Ever. Ever. And <clears throat> here's why. So in a in that fifty two card deck, um, let's say you're you're picking the the first card to put on the top of that. If you were to hand pick all these uh, cards, you have fifty two options to choose from. Well, after you choose one, so let's say you pick the the Ace of Spades to go first. After that, you have fifty one possible cards to choose from next. So you pick another card, the let's say Three of Hearts. Okay, then you have 50 cards to choose from. Okay, you go on and on. Now, let's say if you started with a different card, this time a seven of spades, uh, and then you have another 51. So you have the number of combos you have is 52 times 51 times 50 all the way down to times two times one. It's called 52 factorial. Exclamation point. Mm -hmm. I did not know that when I first started doing math stuff. I just uh, thought the math and the numbers were happy. They were excited. <laughs> I was laughed out of the class for that. So, yes, 52 factorial. Mm -hmm. Yeah, not, not used a whole lot in just everyday mathematics, the factorial uh, exclamation point, like you said. But 52 factorial, that number is so large um, that there's a, a few different ways that people have of illustrating how big that number is. One way I've heard that was particularly compelling um, and kind of supports the argument I just said of you, you've probably never seen that combo of cards is that that number is larger than the number of seconds going based off of really any, at least to my knowledge, any definition of how old you think the known universe is. Wow. Uh, it's that number is larger than the number of seconds that the known universe has existed. Wow. Um, Just to be clear, uh, 52 factorial is approximately 8 times 10 to the 67th power, or 8, and then 67 zeros after. That's the equivalent of what that is. Wow. That is, yeah, another way that you can kind of think about that is in the Pacific Ocean, uh, there is roughly one and then 25 zeros. That's how many drops of water are in the Pacific Ocean. So it is way greater than that. It's, that's true. That's a really good way to start us off, Ty. Yeah. Way to start us off with yeah. that. And it's, and it's funny you talk about that. Uh, <clears throat> it's funny you talk about the Pacific Ocean. That's one of the ways that people use to describe how long it would take you to reach, like, actually getting a second deck that's the same as one that has already existed. Mm -hmm. It's something like, um, and you could find this illustration on YouTube even if you wanted to. It's something like if you bought a lottery ticket uh, every year and or like every month or I don't know. But anyways, every time you win the lottery, you uh, take a drop out of the ocean and you just drop it on land. Okay. Continue buying lottery tickets. Every, again, every time you win, take a drop out of the Pacific Ocean. Mm -hmm. And once you've emptied the Pacific Ocean, you take a grain of sand and put it in the Grand Canyon. 
and you repeat that process, you repeat that all the way until the Grand Canyon is full of sand, and they say then, supposedly, you would have had a second deck of cards. That is absolutely... <laughs> it's something like that. <laughs> That's questionable. That also sounds like it would just take a long time. <laughs> a very long time. I don't Goodness. believe this. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I might have mixed up some of those metaphors or combined two different illustrations, but if you look it up, there's there's a lot of like there's multiple funny ways they have of, of demonstrating how long it would actually take you to to shuffle a deck of cards to where you ha- you likely reach a deck that's already existed. I think I'm, I just learned yeah. uh, you know, <laughs> a lot more than uh, I knew about that, so. Good job, Ty. Way to, way to set the bar high. For you. <laughs> <laughs> um, wow. Man, that's really interesting. Um, well, I'd like to share um, just a just a little one, a small one. Um, this is something that I didn't even remember until I started teaching uh, a class about tessellations. And so tessellations are essentially their tilings that like overlap not on top of each other, but they like kind of like connect with each other to form some sort of image. Mm-hmm. And so regular tessellations actually occur significantly in nature. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. And so I think the most fascinating one for me, so there's only three regular tessellations. And regular just means that kind of like a regular polygon of some type. So like, or, or like a square, rectangle, um, equilateral triangles, hexagons, those are the three that are most common. Um, and so I think that hexagons are really interesting. And one way that you can see uh, the hexagons of regular tessellations in nature is actually honeycombs. When you look at a honeycomb, it's just a series of hexagons that the bees have put together. And I think it's just like fascinating. I know it's like not a long math fact, but it's actually very interesting to me that tessellations occur in nature and that math actually occurs quite commonly in nature. But that would make sense considering I think many early mathematicians like they based their theories and they had these questions because of what they saw out in the real world, their observations, and then they turned that into theories and turned that into mathematical evaluations. And so, I don't know, that was my little mm-hmm. math fact. The regular tessellations, uh, specifically hexagons, occur in the honeycombs of bees. So. Wow. Wow. I don't think I knew that one either. <laughs> that's, that's wild. That's wild. So, apart, apart from bees and like where else for like as far as nature goes Mm -hmm. you know uh okay i get sometimes i get this mixed up with the fibonacci sequence Mm -hmm. which that is like for one that would be um like in pine cones and so i have to look up another place i just when i thought about the the bees and the hexagons i was like oh wow let me look a little bit more but if you let me get back to you on that and i'll see if i can find another place because they do occur more common than just yeah which what is what is Fibonacci's sequence like you I just hate mentioned? You so much. <laughs> <laughs> I read a small fact about that. Anyways, yeah. no, you can go for it. No, no, it's it's not it's not as profound. Do, yeah. So, do you remember what it is? I think I, I might. Oh, yikes! You want to take this one? I get so, all mixed up. It's, it's gonna end so, up. So, so Fibonacci's sequence is what they call a recursive sequence of numbers. Yes. It's where you... I would have said recursive, but... (laughs) (laughs) So that that means you take um, numbers that you already have used and uh, you do something with those to get a new number. Mm -hmm. It starts with 1, 1, 
and then uh, to get any new number following that, you add the previous two numbers together. So you add one and one, you get two. So then the, the two previous numbers are one and two. So you get yeah. one, one, two, one, two three. three. Three and two, you get five. Mm -hmm. Five and three, you get eight. So it, it keeps adding up in that way. And one thing I remember uh, that in nature, the Fibonacci, Fibonacci sequence shows up is in plants, like their leaves and flowers. Yes. So plant leaves and flowers typically, um, for some reason, uh, have the have a number of leaves or a number of petals on the flower that are that like fit in that Fibonacci sequence. Mm -hmm. um, so it, it it appears anyways that it wasn't just you know it's not just a random assortment of number of leaves or petals. Uh, in any given plant, but that, like, there's plants that have, uh, the, I don't remember what flower it is, but there's one flower that it's like one singular petal, and there's, there are ones that are, are two petals, or they're, that have, like, two leaves. <clears throat> like, that's, that's one reason, I think, anyways, that finding, like, a, a four-leaf clover mm -hmm. is wow. so, is, is considered such good luck, because it's, rare. it's rare, because, yeah, because four's not in that Fibonacci sequence. That's, also, to answer your question, I <laughs> okay. Uh, so, like on certain snakes, um, they're it's they're obviously they're not going to be like perfect regular hexagons, yeah, uh, for their tessellations. But the scales of snakes, like, will you know for certain species will actually follow like a regular tessellation of hexagons. Those scales. That's so interesting. And then um, the other one that I was thinking about. Oh, pineapples. Wow. Pineapples. <laughs> we always see like the little thorn, but when you actually look at a pineapple like a little bit further back, you'll see it's like, hexagon. They're like yeah. hexagon or, hmm. yeah, or I think, you know, sometimes you might encounter like different species that are not maybe exactly like the hexagon, but it's still going to be like a tessellation of okay. something. So, yeah, I don't know. That's just weird. But, anyways, so to answer your question. No, 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 no. I have a question. For you guys, okay. that we can turn into a fact. <laughs> um, how would you guys define binary math in a way someone can actually understand it? <laughs> you mean like zero, zero and one kind of system? Yes. Uh, building bigger numbers from just yeah. zero and one. And where do you see when you define it? Where do you see binary math used in our world today? Well, the first, <laughs> you can very clearly tell that I'm still waking up and I'm so lost. Binary math. So one way I think that I've seen it, well, obviously everyone, not everyone, but many people know that binary math, ones and zeros are going to occur yes. in computers. Um, yeah. But I think there's also a way, is it Morse code exactly way? One way that people have used okay well like the ones and zeros certain spacings can be used to like communicate beyond just electronically like it's a way to do coding okay um is it how to put it in a way that's well you you out. did that that you did you did you said <clears throat> with computers so i i think what well, and as far as like understanding the binary system mathematically uh I'm pulling this from that book on history of numbers I read. 
because this is so important that we don't we kind of take for granted um it has i think like what you're saying it has a lot to do with place value yes and yeah. what the base of whatever numerical system we're using mm-hmm. so like we use um if you're if you're uh if you're an american listening in right now anyways we use a and i think most people around the world at this point do i, I don't know of anyone else using this kind of system but a we use a 10 uh it's like a, t- a 10 system that's why it's called a decimal so what so so like a, we use a decimal system deci for 10 mm-hmm. um, but you could also like we could have used if if our history had developed differently like a base of 12 system mm-hmm. kind of like the ancient you know mesopotamians did Dude, things would be so different it would be very different. Our world would be very different. I can't wrap my brain around a non-ten system. Well, that's 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 because the numerals we use only are only made for a a ten or like a, a decimal system because you know it's zero to nine, and then once you hit a, another number, you use a yeah you you uh, move over a a place value, and that's what I was going to say for the binary system. It's just like our decimal system, except instead of a base of 10, it's a base of 2. Mm-hmm. So, like, 0 in the decimal or in the binary system, um, I guess you could say that's, that's like 0 in the, yeah, the, the zeros, just if you have one singular 0 in both systems, it's the same. If you have a 1 in both systems, it's the same. Mm-hmm. But then anything beyond that, the binary system would have to... Uh, if you count up one more, then, and I don't know the binary system that well, but I'm guessing then it becomes like zero, one, or like one zero or zero zero or something like that. But basically, the the more numbers you need to put down, the more numbers you would need to, uh, like line up next to each other yeah, in yes. that system. Yeah, 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 yeah. And and so just like how we have that place value, and we have a one followed by two zeros. That saves us from having to write out, you know, a hundred tick marks. Yeah. yeah. All it is is just, yeah, a way of uh, shorthanding some yeah. greater number. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm taking a, a class right now in grad school called Analysis of Algorithms. Um, and <clears throat> uh, there, we are like in a chapter on binary math. Um, mm-hmm. And it's just been so interesting, at least to me. Um, some people might find it really boring, but I just didn't know how much binary was used in computer science. And so <clears throat> I just wanted to see if you guys were going to actually land like in that spot. And so I did. did really yeah, yeah, you did a really good job, bro. Yeah, that was that was actually a very accurate definition. I think that, you know, people can understand. So, so that's interesting that you were talking about binary systems, because I remember I was taking a class actually with Khalil. Um, we, it was, uh, foundations of algebra one and the instructor started talking about how they used, um, math as a means of protecting like currency transactions. Mm-hmm. Do you remember stuff about that? Clue? Uh, yeah. <clears throat> uh, small things. <laughs> um, uh, I don't want to explain the, the, the details of the class because yeah. I think that might be a little bit too technical but i think one of the interesting things that i had learned um 
in that class uh, when I left, now that applies to what I'm studying that would be practical is something called cryptographic algorithms. Okay. Do you guys know what that is? No. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's basically, let's say, because uh, we're talking about the transactions, if a, a bunch of letters mm -hmm. are going to be encrypted, they're basically going to be replaced by a number equivalence. That's basically what it is. Cryptographic algorithms is basically that, mm -hmm. but used in coding. And so, <clears throat> as far as your question, I'm trying to figure out how to draw this back to your, do I, I don't know how to draw this back. I'm lost. I was just going <laughs> to ask, like, so you're saying, what you're saying is that, like, for example, a certain combination of letters is used. Or numbers. Let's say a credit card number. Yes. Right? Like, yeah. most credit card numbers are encrypted. Yes. Okay. <clears throat> but how are they encrypted? How... Why, how come every time I swipe my card, my number just isn't, my credit card numbers aren't just public or not everyone can just access them? Uh, <clears throat> why, why, are they, why are they encrypted or how are they encrypted? It's because of the cryptographic algorithms. Yeah, they use. So they'll change those numbers into its equivalents, number equivalents. And so, but it's all random. Mm -hmm. It's all very, very random. And so That's what makes it, like the randomness of it makes it more secure. Right. Yeah. yeah. And so math is used heavily now in especially any sort of computer, mm -hmm. you know, any sort of uh, techno technology, but it's especially used when it's talking about money and protection of money. And, and I've actually been really interested in um, cryptography, right? That's the, the study of mm -hmm. like codes. Yeah. I've been super interested in that uh, in the past couple of months, but I haven't gone anywhere with it. Anyways, <laughs> fill the Bible a lot more. Um, so I'm going to kind of change it up, and I just wanted to share a story as opposed to necessarily a math fact. Um, I saw the story a while ago, and I said, that is a dadgum lie. I don't know who, and then I looked it up and I started researching the person. I was like, crap, this is true, and I feel super dumb now. So it was a dadgum truth. It's a dadgum truth. It's not a dadgum <laughs> lie. Uh, so have y'all ever heard of the story of George Danzig? No. No. Okay, so in the 1930s, so he had gotten a, his parents were both linguists, and his dad was actually a mathematician, and his family moved, and he was getting his doctorate at UC Berkeley. And so this is like where the story became famous, and actually some people are like, oh, it inspired the idea of the movie Goodwill Hunting, is that in 1939, he showed up late to his, uh, I think it's like one of his statistics classes, like his math statistics classes. And the professor had these two questions on the board. And so he's like, ah, oh, crap, I guess that's the homework. And so he starts writing down the questions, and he just, like, he just leaves, you know, after, you know, the class ends. And he goes home, and he starts working on it. He's like, gosh, dang, these are hard. And he's just, he works on it and works on it. And he's like, well, uh, he literally said it seemed, oh, I have a, the quote said, it seemed to be a little harder than usual. But a few days later, he handed in the completed solutions to the two problems because um, he thought it was an overdue assignment. Well, it turns out, like, he didn't hear back from the professor for a couple of weeks about the assignment. And he received, a, like, word from his professor saying that the homework problems he thought were homework problems were actually two of the most famous unsolved statistics problems in math history. Wow. Hmm. And so what That's took the, teach, the professor a while was that he had actually been getting, like, basically setting everything up to publish his find, like, to publish the students' findings in the math, in the international math journals. Wow. And then, like... 
someone else came along, like a researcher came along and kind of published like the second article for like this, like that, the kid it's all dancing, kid, he's an adult, um, <laughs> but that dancing it's all. Um, and so, but when he found out that dancing it's all a bit earlier, like they co-authored a thing, but I was like, how do you just show up late to a class <laughs> one day? <laughs> it just shows that people are capable more than yeah, uh-huh. that's like a real life Goodwill Hunting. Yeah, yeah. It, so I don't know. I thought that was, in, yeah. A lot of people say that it kind of inspired, uh, you know, that movie they did one. So that was a story about a mathematician that I thought was very interesting. Yeah. Wow. I had I had never heard that. It's in, that is interesting. Mm. I wonder if that still happens. Also, random fact about myself: <laughs> I actually sit around my house and do that. So there. I don't know, Ty used to live with Ty. In our house now, uh, or this house that I live in now, there's this huge whiteboard just mm-hmm. in the living room. And no matter where I've lived, it's always existed. Uh, I just couldn't do it at the time when I, when I moved in with you guys. But now there's a whiteboard in the house. And whenever I'm bored, because I'm being Khalil, I, I, try, I go and I find unsolved differential equations mm-hmm. and try to solve them. Have I been successful? No, I, I have not. I have, I have not at all. Um, you can make a lot of money by solving, well, certain kinds of math problems. I yeah, know. Yeah, yeah. There are, there are some that are unsolved that are like prized in the yeah. millions of dollars yep. to be solved today. So. Oh my gosh. Yeah. What am I doing? Making <laughs> <laughs> a podcast? <laughs> That's not nowhere that smart to do that. But yeah. yeah. Actually, do have one math fact. It's really once again. I feel like Ty and Quill's math facts are like legitimate facts, and <laughs> mine are just like weird stories that like oh, no. someone who doesn't no. know math is like, oh, that's weird, you know. <laughs> this Goodwill Hunting guy. Um, so this was actually a study done a couple of years ago. Basically, the idea is like um, biologists have always thought that, like, not always, but biologists have thought that ants use the sun to track their way back to their like nests right well one son, i guess like one mathematician was like well that doesn't he was like a mathematical biologist and he was like well that doesn't really help like desert ants because like there's no i guess he was like there's like no tree you know or mm-hmm. anything to cast a shadow it's literally just the sun and so i guess he started like questioning it and he goes no nah, there's gotta be something else so his research made him think that ants like have the loose way to say like ants count the amount of steps that they take and i was like there's no way there's no way that's so stupid and then so this is what he did and i i tell i remember i was telling my mother this story and she was like people have too much time on their hands (laughs) (laughs) he literally got he got these ants and like trained them in a tube like to get to like a nest to like wherever a food source was there's a whole video that Jordan and I, our friend, um, have watched on this idea. I did not know how mathematically inclined ants were until this video. It, okay, I want you to talk more about that. So, so what he did is he made these like ants like learn this route, and then he like basically somehow knocked them out. I don't know what he did, but he knocked them out, and he either like took off a little millimeter of their leg. Or he waxed on, like, literally, when I was reading the article, it said ant stilts. 
And I was like, <laughs> who, what intern had to go in and, like, apply ant stills to these ants? Mm. But, like, added a millimeter or took off a millimeter. And then they put them back on the track. And the ones that had taken off a millimeter, like, they, on average, walked about 50% of the way. Wow. And then they stopped. And then they started, like, kind of going back and forth, trying to figure out, like, where their nest was. Mm-hmm. Whereas the ones who had extra stilts, or had the extra length because of the stilt, went 150% of the way. And then started looking for their, like, they walked right past the nest. And so, the, what the guy's like, he's like, I think it's ridiculous to think that ants can count their steps. Like, wow. that was his own idea. He's like, I think that there's some sort of mechanism in their brain that resets every time they hit back to, like, their nest. Wow. And so, I literally was like, I like the thing because I was reading a book. I know that Ty reads a book that has the history of numbers, and I was reading a book that also had math in it, and that was one of the findings. Not to put dag on lie, but will dag on truth? It's the dag on truth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Jordan and I watched this video um, about ants. It's just a random video. That's what we were doing. It wasn't about math. But one of the interesting things that I had taken from that video was that one, there's enough ants to cover all of the square footage on the entire planet. I, there is, believe me, there is. <laughs> I, I, I didn't believe it at first either. But also, I did not know that like they operate around numbers, like they built their colonies around like the strength of the numbers that they have. Uh, of ants uh, they like have bridges to other uh like other little colonies they're like little engineers like i didn't i didn't mm. know that they did that those kinds of things and so but they also like uh they like conquer like each other based on the strength of like their numbers mm. and stuff like that i just i just thought that was that was just insane but that's i mean that's that's normal i just don't think of ants as being these rational uh little I don't even know what to call them. Little things. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, using numbers like every day yeah. like to to live. And so that just blew my everlasting mind. So what you're saying is we're just waiting on the day an ant insurrection <laughs> from, from below the ground. Dude, yeah. Dude, ants are actually really smart. They're also like, don't they have like the greatest... Like size to strength ratio, like they can lift like ten times their weight. Like if they were human size, like they would be terrifyingly strong. Yeah, something yeah. like that. I also read that if like I don't know if it was cancer, if it was another insect, but it was like if ants were human size, like um, they wouldn't be able to support their own like organs or something like. They wouldn't be able to get enough oxygen. I don't know something that was like, oh well, that's reassuring enough. Like, like, human size. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I would never want to fight an ant. Yeah, or have an ant as a neighbor. You know, he might decide to eat me, you know. Never know. So, are ants carnivores? Yes, they are. Okay. I think right. they're omnivores, actually. Yeah, I was about to say, they eat a lot seen, more plants. I've yeah. seen them, like, I've seen them carry the leaves. And I'm so strong. But I've also seen them take apart, like, dead, you know. Yeah. Like, either a full-grown, like, animal or, like, just a smaller insect that they'll take off of. Place that had ants, 
And I was like, oh no, an ant's on me. But I didn't know it because they didn't bite me. Like, fire ants will literally just bite me because they feel like that. You know? That's the end of my rant. Ant rant. <laughs> I have a question before, I guess, I don't know if we're ending or not. But <clears throat> um, to bring it down to like a, a, a simpler level, how would you guys define like math to a normal everyday person? Um, and why do you believe uh, math? I, I, at least in my interpretation, I, I, I see some look at math as a turnoff. Like it's too hard. It's, it's abstract. I, I, I suck at it. I hear that a lot. Like I'm not a math guy, you know, but math is used in baking. Math is used in when you're driving. Like, math is literally used every day. So, yeah. yeah. Uh, I would say, for me, because I thought about this question myself, um, I would say that math in its very simplest form is just the act of problem solving. Mm -hmm. Um, Or, yeah, the thought of problem solving. Like, math encompasses such a wide range. Like, we see arithmetic, where it's just, like, adding, subtracting, multiplying, and dividing. You know, the statistics, you know, trying to figure out the probability of things which, you know, there's some things that are very difficult to calculate and put into numbers, you yeah, know? Yeah. And then you also have what we were talking about um, with uh, proofs and laws, you know? Which is such a small part of mathematics. If you're going to draw a map mm-hmm. of it, it's like, it's just a little dot, you know, yeah. of math. So, so I think that trying to just say like when most people say math they think arithmetic. Yes. And so it's like it's totally fine if you're if you don't feel confident in your arithmetic, but like I think a broader sense of math because it is so wide would have to be you would just, I would just put it under like the category of problem solving. It's just seeing a problem and saying like how can we figure this out? Yeah. Even if it has nothing to do with numbers, you're gonna have to use logic to figure out that problem. Sure. So try side one. Yeah, um, and actually this reminds me a lot of, like this kind of question reminds me of this book I had to read for teaching over the summer. The book was titled, The Problem with Math is English. Wow, um, kind of just talked about that. <laughs> anyway, keep going. And, uh, and, and here's, here's a lot of what the book is talking about and kind of what this question revolves around. I would agree with what Scott said that math is at its heart about problem solving in the real world and like with that the the emphasis should be that like math came from real life mm-hmm. it's not like people just one day were like oh i'm gonna i'm gonna invent this thing called math and um <laughs> at least as far as like what you're talking about khalil of people feeling like they can't do it i mean there's a large large number of reasons for that uh, and that could apply to many different people. One really common issue is that, and and we like in education, people are recognizing this and are trying to correct this. But as you get into later parts of math, even in just middle school, high school, you start to drop any context of like the real world uh, we you you start doing problems with what they call naked numbers. Yes. Uh, and here's what I mean by that. If you, if you're not too sure, so like in elementary school, as you're learning addition, you would say, okay, I have three apples. You have two apples. 
if we combine our apples, we have five apples. Well, then at some point in middle school or high school, you start to say, or even, even late elementary school, you start to say, okay, three plus two equals five. So you kind of stripped away some of that context. It's still not too bad, right? But then at some point, you also start to add on things like variables, so like x. And you say 3x plus 2x equals what? And at that point, students have forgotten that math came from real life. And so you hear 3x plus 2x, you're like, I, I don't get it. When really, if we say three sets of x plus two sets of x equals five sets of x. And there you go. You just you, you, you learned uh, a full lesson of Algebra 1 right there. Yeah. yeah. Um, just like that. Just like that. I mean, obviously, it would take more practice than that. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, we, we've, I think part of the problem is we've stripped away some of the um, real life or real world um, identity that math really does have for the sake of being able to um, accomplish a process instead of yeah. like, hey, this is why we understand it. This is what you use it for um, and connecting it to those kinds of things. Yeah. Yeah. So growing up, my mom, uh, my mother would, uh, I don't know if this is still true because I'm not in education, but at least I see it in college where there's all of the concepts, all the, all the theories taught. And then you have like exercises to do. And then after the exercises, there's always application. There's like application exercises. I feel like a lot of us skip the application exercises, um, <clears throat> at least for a, a lot of math. And so you, you're, you're right about that. One of the things that I appreciated, because now I'm kind of going the opposite direction. I'm leaving application and learning a lot of theory. So leaving the applied mathematics, engineering, physics, blah, blah, blah. And looking at a lot of the just pure math, um, the theory math, uh, is that I understand it better because of that. Um, I, I understand it better because I spent a lot of time doing application. But my mom would make me do application after, like, you know, she'd be like, you need to solve these problems in the MacBook, blah, blah, blah. And so it, it was very necessary for me to start enjoying math. And so, yeah. yeah, that's good. Something I was going to add with that. Um, and this is the last thing I'll say on that on that topic is that uh, another thing that will happen is that even if people understand math at, a, at any given point in time, they, they probably or they typically forget it, uh, even if it's just over the summer. I mean, in, in, in teaching, there's something called the summer brain drain <laughs> that that so then that's the reason why like the first almost maybe even two or three weeks of school, um, especially right now, yeah. was just like reviewing things that they've already learned and that they should be able to do that sometimes they, they don't think they've ever even seen it. Mm -hmm. And wow. we know because we collaborate with younger grades. So like I teach Algebra 2, mm -hmm. which is a sophomore, a junior, or senior level course, depending on where they're at. Mm -hmm. um, and so a lot of those first couple of weeks, they've seen those things since probably seventh or eighth grade, maybe even a little earlier. Wow. But like students don't remember those things if they're not like if they uh, don't 
somehow do a, like a, a higher level thinking such as you're talking about like applying or doing something to connect that to some broader sense of learning um, they might they might know how to do it for a day for a few days but that's why people um, and students I've seen will forget how to do things that we we spent like a week two weeks on like yeah. just on one topic and they have forgotten to do it um, because we've lost that ability to connect it to some yeah. uh, greater, greater, um, I, don't, I don't even know the right word, but just some greater, greater sense of uh, connected knowledge. Yeah, no, that's a really good point. And as you're saying this, I'm flashing back to when I was teaching, you know, it was the exact same thing. Literally, I taught algebra one. So when you said 2x plus 3x, I remember sitting there. Saying almost exactly like two x plus three. Think of it like two sets of x and three sets of x. And sometimes, yeah, like not everyone's gonna understand like mm-hmm. arithmetic and totally get that. It's, it's yeah, trying to to push past what we feel like we are not that great at to try and get better at it. And and most of us don't stay in theory, don't we? Like we we end in mm-hmm. we most of us live most of our lives doing practical math. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so. Yeah, yeah. So application is, is, is huge and necessary throughout our learning, your learning journey. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I have one more. This is, I just want to kind of gauge. Uh, so this was something that's exponential is essentially what it is. Okay. Um, and so uh, this is something, it's actually almost this exact question is what I used uh, when I was teaching exponentials or reviewing exponential uh, growth to my students. And so the idea is, um, think about a piece of paper, okay, a piece of paper, we'll say it's about, you know, a tenth of a millimeter, so 0.1 millimeters thick, um, and so if you fold the paper in half, right, you're going to, like, half the size of the width or the length, but you're going to double the thickness of it, so instead of being 0.1 millimeters, it's going to be, when you fold it in half, 0.2 millimeters, right, mm-hmm. you keep folding it, imagine you had a big enough piece of paper that could continually fold, um, how many millimeters or how many sorry how many times do you think that we would have to fold it this massive piece of paper until we were until we were able to reach the moon on folding it uh and for reference the moon is 384.4 billion millimeters away. <laughs> that's a lot of folding <laughs> so you're, you're asking how many times we think we would have to yeah, fold it how many times do you think you'd have to fold it until you were able to reach the moon and it's how many billion millimeters? 384.4 billion. My guess is that it's not going to be as many as we think. It's... Khalil, what do you think? I think it's going to be a lot of folding. Okay, that, I need a, I need a <laughs> number. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know how to give you a number because I'm like, what do I... Oh. A hundred to the hundredth power of millimeters? Like, I don't... Like no, I'm like how many folding, times how many you fold folds. the paper? How many times? Because yeah. every time you fold the paper, the thickness doubles. Yes, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So how many, yeah, so to get from 0.1 millimeters, how many times do you think we'd have to fold it until we got to 384.4 billion millimeters? I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I'm going to guess it's, and you're going to think I'm dumb. I'm, I'm going to guess it's like less than one or 200. You're correct. Take a, a little bit closer, I guess. Based 32 on times. How? 42 times. 
42 times. Wow. Yeah, that's actually super close, Ty. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> and I, have, I actually have a, a thing on, like I have an, another exponential story that this was totally unplanned um, after you explained what you were going to explain with this. Oh, well, I was just going to say, like, it just grows so fast because, like, you know, you fold it once, you go you know, you're to folding. point two. Wow. Then you fold it again, you're at point four. That's fold it again, you're at point eight. Mm. And so you just keep doubling every single time you fold it. And it takes 42 times. So the way that, you know, you could write it is point one millimeters. Yeah. Point one times two to the whatever power. Okay. And that would get you, you know, in this case, 42. So two times 40. So that's 42 folds should get you. All right. Roughly there. I, I know how to that, get to the moon now. I used to do that. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's it, right? that. I swear, not agreeing that there if anyone's listening, is like, that, that literally is impossible. Well, the, the thing is, like, the thickness of paper, like, you can't, like, humanly fold paper, I think, more than seven times, I think. I don't know. It's not that many. I remember there was a piece, there was, like, a Guinness Book of World Records that was, like, the highest number of folds was seven on a piece of paper. And just to prove it, or just to, like, show you, we will offer, like, a million dollars to anyone who can pull, fold this piece of paper ten times. And, uh, <laughs> a lot, like, ten, like, fold it in half ten times. And I saw people who would do, like, six or seven. They could not get, like, it just was too thick for them to fold any further. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right, what was your thing about uh, exponential stuff? So, I don't know where this story originated. Uh, I wasn't able to find that. You've probably heard this in one form or another, but it's actually a really old story. So it comes from um, somewhere, somewhere east of Europe. Okay, so so somewhere in the east, whether that be like the Middle East, kind of Central Asia, or um, the Far East, as 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 we would uh, describe it. Mm-hmm. Like so, so somewhere, somewhere um, really far away from us in America. Okay. But uh, the way the story goes is that this uh, mathematician in this kingdom, uh, the king uh, was really pleased with his work, and he wanted to reward him uh, for, for the things that he was doing. And, and so he, he asked him, like, how is it, how is it we can um, repay you? Like, what, what, are, what is it that we can uh, do in order to kind of compensate you for like all the all the wonderful things you've been doing for us and for my kingdom especially and this this mathematician um said that he would he would like for the king to start by paying him paying him it was either like one it was like one grain of wheat or like one grain of rice right you know where i'm going i know and so like start there and then every day for like a month double the amount that he was going to give him from the previous day and this king was insulted by that offer because he said what you think i can only give you you know a few grains of wheat or grains of rice uh and you know like it, it gets about halfway into the month and the king um, asks one of his subjects who is handling the compensation of this mathematician. And so he asks him, um, how is it going paying uh, this man? And the, the guy was saying, sir, we're still trying to count the amount of 
wheat that we have to give him from like days ago. Because as it as it ends up, can you uh, calculate it real quick? Yeah, like yeah, if yeah. you do that, so if you started even with one grain of wheat or one grain of rice, how many grains would you end up with after, after, 30, after days? 30 days? So here's, I want to ask a clarifying question with that. Is that do, so it's one on the first day. Yes. And so the next day, it would be two. Because I've also heard one that's like similar to that story. And it's like, it adds on. So it's like the first day would be one. And the next day you double it to be two. But then you'd also add the first day, which would make it three. Yeah. No, no, no. You're just doubling the day before. Okay. So so the second day he would have two grains of wheat or rice. The third day he would have four grains of wheat or rice. The next day he would have eight. Um, which at first, kind of like the, you know, and this just goes to show you, kind of like Scott's example, the power of exponential of, of exponential growth. Because okay. you might think like the king, that's that's a ridiculous request. This man's going to go hungry. Yeah. How much grain or, yeah, grain of wheat or rice, whatever, whichever one it was, mm-hmm. uh, how much would he be paid on the on the 30th day, <laughs> the thir- if this king was able to provide all of that. Oh on the 30th gosh. day? On the 30th and, day. And with knowing that he would have been paid on all those previous days yes. as well. On the 30th day, he would have had 1 times 10 to the 9th, which would be 1 followed by 9 zeros. Yes. That's how much grain he would be able that, to that, that many grains of wheat. Or, so basically, this man fooled his king into... Yeah. He, he never needs to go buy wheat or rice again. And so that's yeah. I mean, it's that's one reason it's good to it's good to be able to know your math so that you're not duped into <laughs> owing. That's compound interest. There you go. That's 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 investing right there. There you go. <laughs> that is the power of the dollar. Where, compound interest. I forget where it is, but I'm pretty sure it's Albert Einstein. Is he was like those who. Those who understand compound interest will earn it, and those who don't understand will pay it. That's literally his yeah. Like, well, and the modern example I've heard before of that story is that someone gets paid a penny. Yes. And you double that payment for a month, mm-hmm. and they are just I filthy see. rich by the end of that month. I'm, like I said, I'm pretty sure nine zeros would make that a billion, one billion That's on so. the thirtieth day. So a billion <laughs> pennies is what ten million dollars. It's <laughs> a lot of that's a lot of dollars. Yeah, so anyways. I would I would gladly take that pay for a month. My there's there's no interest that. that's that high. My, <laughs> my uncle actually one time we were talking and he was like he wanted to show me the idea of compound interest and he said if I offered you a million dollars today or one penny today going you know and doing that exact same thing doubling he's like what would you do and I was like. Most adults would probably take that oh, offer. For sure. If you don't sit there and calculate it, it seems ridiculous to think you'd get that much yeah. money. Yeah. Thank you for listening to the Dimes Loan Podcast. We hope you enjoyed it.
This podcast was created for the purpose of gathering friends together to discuss topics they are passionate about. If you enjoyed the podcast, share the love with a friend. Follow us on Instagram at Podcast Times Alone. And if you are interested in coming on the podcast or have thoughts on something we should discuss, please DM us. We appreciate y'all and we'll see you next time.